Welcome to Sound DeFi. I'm your host, Chris Berg. Join us today, Michael Nato. He is the Director of Ecosystems with Invenia. Mike, great to see you. Welcome back to Sound DeFi. Great to see you as well, Chris. Always great to chat with you. Yeah, you too. And, and what's fun now is we're coming out of summer, some exciting news happening at Invenia. What is that? What does it mean for your consumers? Yeah, appreciate the question. And we're in sort of like a bear market in crypto and a lot of people think the recession's coming. But I mean, I think at Invenium, we're seeing a lot of these large players are continuing to lean into tokenization, blockchain, DeFi, this whole space. So some exciting stuff. We've been building out our integrations with Tokeny, with Oasis Pro Markets, really building that path to liquidity, path to liquid trading. So ton of development on the product side, lots of people working really hard with these integrations. Let's talk about maybe even a case study or an example of what this valuation of service means. What Invenium does is we're basically bringing in a third party to help with that valuation mark. So you have a third party testing to the valuation of whatever's in that fund. We're anchoring all that data to the blockchain, making it immutable, making it trusted. That becomes the integrity of a digital asset that could be created on Tokeny's platform. And that's where that integration with Tokeny comes into play. They can kind of manage cap tables, onboard investors, do everything with full compliance. And then we're you know, creating that integration with Oasis Pro Markets as well, regulated ATS, SEC, FINRA registered, so that we can kind of create this pipeline of digital asset trading on liquid exchanges. So now you can kind of fractionalize that out. If you wanted to bring in new investors, you could do so, and then potentially offer liquidity to those investors where they're not locking up their capital for five to 10 years. You're, they're getting some liquidity, potentially being able to move some of those assets into the DeFi space using it as collateral for loans, extra liquidity there as well. So we think that's really where things are going. It starts with valuations, third-party marks, trusted data. That's where Invenium comes into play. And that's why we're, we're kind of building out this ecosystem as well. Man, it's exciting stuff when you start to think about the liquidity that could be freed up and some of these more long-term, um, you know, would presumably have been more long-term investments. So anything else you want to add there before we move on to some regulations, some things happening at Coinbase? Yeah, some interesting stuff happening. Yeah, we can move on to Coinbase regulations. I'm excited to talk about that as well. There's kind of this fight right now between the SEC and the CFTC. There's a couple of new bills that are coming out from Stabenow and Boozman out of the Senate Ag Committee, which obviously they would love to see the CFTC be the captain, if you will, in this reg world. But the SEC now coming out against Coinbase with insider trading and the current CFTC chairwoman is sort of like, wait, 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 you can't just go out there and regulate through, you know, indictments or whatnot. Like we need to see actual regulation before we start prosecuting people. So how are you digesting all this? Yeah, it's complicated. I think we're in one of those weird spots with, with growing innovation, these new assets that uh, a lot of these securities laws were created in 1933, right? So there, it was hard to project out in 1933 that we'd have these new investable assets that are coming from these decentralized networks that allow peer-to-peer -peer trading and kind of cut out a lot of intermediaries. So I think it's fascinating to see. You've got this Coinbase thing really kind of came to the surface through an insider trading issue with a product manager that had access to information about assets were going to get listed. I believe Coinbase actually self-reported that. So I, I think Coinbase has been pretty upfront about that. But then from there, when the SEC starts looking at it, then they start looking at some of the assets that were actually involved with that insider trading. And they're saying, okay, some of these look like securities. So now that's opening up another investigation. So it's interesting because you have that happening, looking at these crypto assets and saying, these fit the laws that were created in 1933 to be securities. While at the same time, you have a new bill in Congress, bipartisan bill, 
that is basically saying we need to make some adjustments to these laws that were created in 1933. And they look pretty good for crypto, I think. So what they are laying out, and it's just a bill, it hasn't moved its way through just yet, but what they're laying out is, and they're saying is that even for some of these networks that aren't fully decentralized, as long as the token doesn't represent actual equity, right, which most, which I don't see any of these crypto assets that do today unless they're existing securities. But if they don't represent equity, they don't represent debt, they don't represent a dividend payment, and, and there's no like legal rights associated with that token, then that would fall under the CFTC. And that would be, that would be considered a commodity. And so when you have pretty good clarity on Bitcoin in this regard, on Ethereum in this regard, that's almost 70% of the crypto market cap right there. And then the rest of them, if they're not existing securities, like this is really where Invenium is focused on existing securities, real estate, private equity, private debt. There's not a lot of ambiguity there, but the rest of these really don't look like they're not receiving dividend payments. They don't represent legal rights. So I think it looks good for, for crypto that that bill in its current state looks pretty good. And then that will inform and bring clarity for Coinbase, right? Now they understand what they can list, what they can't list. Entrepreneurs can structure the tokens and their offerings in line. And I think everyone gets clarity and it's good for the industry. It's good for regulators. But we're kind of in that holding period right now where it's it's pretty confusing. We just don't have the clarity just yet. Especially when you look at it, maybe I'm conflating these. So if I am, I apologize and correct me. But when we look at the Ripple situation and what's going on with the SEC there, I mean, some of these things, it's easy to conflate. So I'm not asking necessarily to speak for Invenium, but but what would you prefer? Would you prefer the CFTC or the SEC overseeing these crypto regs? There's basically two things going on. So you have Invenium really is primarily focused on existing securities where we're dematerializing them, putting them on the blockchain, and then you get all the benefits of the efficiencies that come with the blockchain, transparency, settlement, smart contracts, all that. So there's there's an issue there because those those are clearly falling under the 1933 Securities Act. But at the same time, most of the rules related to that is designed to regulate intermediaries. So you have to have a transfer agent, you need a custodian, you need they're not necessarily recognizing blockchains as like a reliable like settlement structure today. So like you still need some stuff to change even with existing security laws and how they pertain to digital securities. So I think there's clarity needed there. And then on the, the other piece, of it, that's really where Invenium sits. The other piece is really the, the crypto assets and determining whether those are commodities or securities for the industry. It's very clear that, that we would prefer that to go towards the CFTC and most of that to be commodities. The exchanges would, would fall under the CFTC and, and anything else would fall under the SEC. I'm hearing the same thing. And, and some of the things yeah. that I'm hearing is that people would prefer the CFTC because they just don't have as big a budget. Thus, you've got mm -hmm. less government intrusion. But before we started recording this, you did mention something about one of the bills in regards to some of the exchanges in the CFTC. What was that piece? Yeah. So it's part of what's been laid out in this bill is actually a fee. So some of these exchanges, if these assets are deemed to be commodities, the exchanges are actually going to have to pass on a small fee to their users and then that fee actually will fund the CFTC and the regulations that need to be put into place, the hiring that needs to happen at the CFTC. So <laughs> crypto is creating jobs. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> the irony of decentralized yeah. finance creating government jobs. Like, right. can't make it up. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to touch on, Rags? Because I do want to get under this on-chain ID, which I think is going to be revolutionary in the space. Yeah, let's, let's, let's jump into it. 
So correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, but I think Tokeny now has created this um, on-chain ID program. And one of the big challenges, of course, especially when you talk about the CFTC and or the SEC is you got the identity aspect. Like, where is this money coming from? Who's really authorized to make some of these transactions and who owns the keys and on and on and on. So on-chain ID potentially could build it so I can be anonymous, but yet still be verified who I am, correct? Correct. Yeah. I think when you bring up sort of identity and decentralized finance, blockchain, crypto space, people tend to react negatively to this. But I think it's sort of the best of both worlds. And I think it's going to help with the adoption of DeFi and kind of Web3 broadly. But on-chain ID is a solution that Invenium's partner, Tokeny, has come out with. This is something they're using on their platform today when they when they bring investors in to onboard and go through KYC AML, on-chain ID is something that they're current, it's in the market today and they're currently using this. But what it really is, is essentially like a smart contract that you can tie to your wallet address, which is really just a string of letters and numbers and you're, you're pseudonymous there. But what this can do is you're basically using that smart contract to ping an identity oracle to prove who you are. If you needed to, like if you're an institution and you want to access DeFi, but you need to, for compliance reasons, you need to be able to identify your counterparties in a trade, right? You can't be in there potentially trading with somebody from North, North Korea or someone on a sanctioned or terrorist list, right? So it allows institutions to get much more comfortable with being able to transact within potentially some permissioned pools within DeFi, which would not make DeFi, you know, 100% permissioned. It would just be, you'd have these pools where institutional actors that need compliance can access. So I think it's kind of kind of the best of both worlds there. And then if you have a wallet, you're probably familiar with how easy that is to just like sync that up with any Web3 application or Web3 website. That becomes potentially like a single sign-on, sort of like how you use your Google account today across lots of Web3 applications. Again, it's sort of like you're flashing your ID at a bar right, where you don't actually fill out the forms and you're putting your data into somebody else's database where if they get hacked, now your social security is out there, you're basically flashing that to the bouncer, taking it back. And that's one of the nice things I think about blockchain and where this identity solution is going. And when you say flash an ID, I mean, that's an anonymous encrypted just basic number, right? That I'm going to flash and go, hey, this is who I am. And then boom, I get it back, correct? Yeah. So the way that on-chain ID has it set up, you're essentially your social security number, your passport is held off chain. So there needs to be some sort of, if it's a government agency or if it's a big four accounting firm, there's some sort of attestation agent that's holding that. And the smart contract just pings to that and just, and then that whitelists you. And so you still have a little bit of an off chain element. To this. It may end up all on chain in the future, if we can get those documents onto the blockchain themselves, but that's kind of how it's, how it's going to work today. And if you want to find out more on that, you can go to onchainid.com. Again, onchainid.com to get some more information there. And it also allow me to sort of bounce in and out of different wallets and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think even like if you wanted to access something in Web3 and maybe in the metaverse in the future, and you have to prove you're 18 years old to be there, right? Or something, the on-chain ID is a solution for that. So it really kind of just bring compliance potentially to the Web3 space. Again, best of both worlds because you're not dragging your data and leaving it all over the internet. You're controlling it and just proving who you are whenever you need to. Fantastic. Mike, want to also give you a chance just to promote the upcoming DeFi report. What do you have next for us? 
Yeah. So working on, I guess, somewhat related to some of these regulations and stuff, we're working on a post that's going to just really dive into comics and what what do tokens represent, really kind of touching on some of what we, we addressed earlier, like what are these things, right? They don't represent debt or equity or or dividend payments. There's no legal rights behind these tokens. But if you're a VC and you invest in an early stage crypto project, you're being allocated the tokens, right? Because that's where the value is expected to accrue. So I'm kind of just explaining, yeah, we're working on a post where we're going to compare some web three business models to web two and how this is interesting because what these tokens can do is you can use the tokens to incentivize like multi-sided marketplaces to start to come together. I'm comparing to Uber where you could have a web three Uber where the token is doled out to the drivers and the riders. And then they opt into that network because now they own a piece of it. And then 90% of the revenues are paid directly to the drivers. 10% comes to a pool of, of developers, engineers, maybe in the future you get a dividend payment out of it. But I, I wanna really dive into that token and how it's introducing the formation of these multi-sided marketplaces. So that's coming, that'll be published on Monday morning. Thank you for letting us know that. I also just love the fact that these tokens are going to allow for more liquidity. I've got a friend of mine who's got a fund right now. And if you want to get rid of shares or there's a buyback, it's only done through a tender offer. It's all sort of dictated by them, where if you've got these tokens, I'm presuming you can go through an ATS and have some more access to liquidity. Yes. That's the other benefit. Yeah, exactly. So typically a early stage seed startup, they might go, if they get funded by VCs, they may go through five, six rounds before the company goes public. And then that's when retail gets access. So most of the value has been sucked out of it at that point. But with these crypto tokens, retail is getting access similar to like that seed level for some of these. And there's still all that growth that that's to come. So I think it's interesting from that perspective as well. Mike Leto, thank you so much again, the Director of Ecosystem Strategies. Thanks a lot, Chris. Great chatting with you. Yeah, you too. We'll do it again soon. Again, this is Sam DeFi. I'm your host, Chris Bird. 